0: This is The Future of Finance by Motive Labs. Hello, welcome to The Future of Finance, the Motive
1: Labs podcast where we live and breathe the next generation of financial technology. Hi, I'm Rob Bartlett. I lead Motive Labs work in the insurance industry, and I'm delighted that I'm joined today by Adrian Jens of SCORE. E. Adrian, welcome. Thank you. Adrian, maybe just give a little bit of introduction to yourself. That would be a good starting point.
0: Robert, it's great to speak with you today. The one thing that I do want to say at the outset is I'm speaking as myself, not necessarily as a representative of SCORE, uh, so these are just personal opinions I'm going to offer.
1: Fine. Understood.
0: So I run PNC Ventures at SCORE, which is the number five reinsurance company globally. It's a role that I've somewhat transitioned into after setting up the ventures business in 2017, shortly after joining SCORE as head of strategy and business development. Excellent. So
1: tell us a bit more about PNC Ventures and what its focus is.
0: We say that we're building the insurers of the future, which means we are providing specifically debt equity and reinsurance as well as insurance capacity to young companies in the insurance sector, so carriers and managing general agencies. We are both investing as well as providing the capacity, which we believe produces a much better long-term relationship with those companies.
1: Okay, so really looking to find the next wave of disruptors and new business models out there.
0: Less so disruptors. I'm not okay. sure there's a lot of disruptors in the insurance okay. world, but, uh, but new business models, absolutely. The insurance has historically been a very entrepreneurial part of the economy, and uh, our goal is to support that. Okay,
1: interesting. So your personal background, you started out in management consulting with Bain. So what led you into uh, working in the insurance industry and into school?
0: I was in the staffing manager's office at Bain, and I was told to get on a train and go to Princeton, New Jersey. Uh-huh. I was given an address and told to ask for a person there. Mm-hmm. There happens to be a large insurance company in Princeton. You can guess who that might be, but they, that was my uh, introduction. There was no preparation or anything like that just okay. thrown in. And I then did a couple of other insurance projects okay. over the course of a couple more years at Bain. And in 2010, it was a pretty bad time in the New York economy. And so I decided that Bermuda would be a nice place to go and took a role as head of strategy for one of the reinsurers there.
1: OK, so that was how you segued your way into the industry.
0: That's how I fell into it, yeah. yeah OK,
1: a common story. I think a lot of people do end up in this space, And maybe bizarrely to people listening, actually find it absolutely fascinating. Really? (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe not. Or maybe not. So again, just for the benefit of the listener, SCORE is the number five independent reinsurance business operating in 160 plus countries. Can you tell us a bit more about the business and maybe demystify its business model for our listeners?
0: So SCORE is indeed the number five. We write about 15 or 16 billion euros of premium a year. That's about 60% life reinsurance, 40% non-life or property and casualty. Reinsurance is basically insurance for insurance companies. It serves a couple of purposes. One, it protects them from the risk of ruin, and two, it can help to stabilize the earnings. So basically, we are capital providers to the insurance business. Okay. Um, but people might not think of it that way because it's not traditional debt and equity. Okay. But in fact, we are the ones who take the major losses when they come, against which insurance companies have to hold capital. Okay. So you're the insurer of the insurer in that sense? We are where the risk ultimately ends up. Okay. Interesting.
1: So in terms of some of the things going on, you published a piece recently on disruption of insurance by insurance linked securities. Can you tell us, our listeners, a bit more about that report and maybe what insurance linked securities are and why they disrupt?
0: This is a big reason why I got into the industry in the first place. In 2010, it was actually hedge funds who had been in the space for four or five years. They had actually made a lot of money. What ended up happening is that pension funds and even retail investors started piling into the sector, particularly 2012-2013, via insurance-linked securities. So typically this is catastrophe bonds or what's called collateralized reinsurance where you don't actually need a credit rating, you can simply put up the entire amount of money which you would be paying in the event of a claim and and be in the reinsurance business. Because of some changes that happened with rating agencies and with a few other things it it made that an economically viable model. And that has gone from about 15 billion in capital when I joined to in the high 80s to 90 billion today. Well, wow. That had a huge impact in the most profitable segments of the business, which was property catastrophe. And within that, property catastrophe in Florida was by far the most profitable part of the business. The profitability has since declined by about 75%. Okay. That was hugely impactful to the Bermuda companies that were heavily writing that business. It was actually not very impactful to companies like Score because we were never big in that business to begin with.
1: Okay. Fascinating. So has SCORE got into that business line as well?
0: So we're the number five globally, and we're number 27 in Florida. Okay. I don't think we have any higher aspirations.
1: (laughs) No, I was thinking specifically about ILS, so you're managing ILS funds.
0: Yes, so SCORE has a large ILS operation called Atropos, which is close to $2 billion in funds, including a recent acquisition. So we do manage that business for others. We also use it for our own purposes, so we're one of the largest buyers of retrocession in the world. So retrocession is reinsurance for reinsurers. Okay. There's right. nothing beyond that. Don't worry. <laughs> <Fantastic>. <laughs> that's always the next question. Uh, that's good.
1: No, that's a good one. I like that. Okay. So taking half a step back, looking at score itself on the PNC side, you know, so what are the what are the major strategic thrusts and changes that you and your fellow executives are making there?
0: We do these three-year annual plans. It's been incredibly successful, starting when the company was in crisis in 2003 with the plan called Back on Track. We have a new plan, which will be coming out in September. I can comment on what we've done on the old plan. Specifically, we basically had four growth areas, the biggest being the U.S. We're number 10 in the U.S. versus four or five everywhere else. So that's been an important growth area because actually the U.S. is almost half of the global reinsurance market. So that was the first area, building up our international presence, building up our insurance operations, both at Lloyd's of London as well as our MGA business has been very important. And then building up our what we call SCORE business solutions, which is where we write insurance risk for big, hairy, smelly, ugly sort of things. So think of oil rigs, you know, major. We do subway construction in China, things like that. Okay. So those have been the four areas that we've developed it probably shouldn't surprise you if we continue to develop those going forward. <laughs> OK.
1: So let's jumping back into PNC Ventures and the work you've been doing. So can you talk a bit more about some of the investments you've made in what areas and why you're
0: excited about them? The majority of our investments have been in carriers and MGAs. Carriers in particular have been an area that a lot of capital providers have avoided, but we actually like it because we understand how the regulated capital within a carrier works. And if you generate a good underwriting return and you generate good customer loyalty, that is a path to making a lot of money in this business, okay. uh, even more so than being a service provider. So that's the first thing that we've done. We've backed a number of agencies as well. Some of them may convert into carriers at some point. And we've backed a technology initiative called B3i, uh, where I'm on the board, which is, it started out being the blockchain insurance industry initiative. It's, It's no longer as focused on blockchain. But we've done all of this with the view that, again, we want to create the insurance company of the future. And we believe that the way to do that is to use the power of score in a collaborative way with entrepreneurs who are trying to build new insurance companies. And so I try to sit at the center of that glue between us and the startup.
1: Excellent. That's a great answer. So what are the key attributes you're looking for when you're making an investment? What are the three or four things that you know people have to tick the box to get your interest?
0: I think there has to be a baseline level of insurance understanding. That does not necessarily mean insurance... Experience, but at least understanding and a respect for certain aspects of the way that this business operates, which are not changing despite people trying to make them change. So that's the first thing. Secondly, then some unique product characteristic or several points of innovation along the value chain such that overall it's something unique. We've seen a lot of gimmicks in insurance. You know, I I can sell you this sort of product in this way. Isn't that cool? Well, actually, no. Nobody really cares. People don't care about our sector. And so we have to create products that people buy because they are more convenient than the alternatives. They turn them on, and they forget about them until they have a claim. Okay, That's a contrarian view, by the way.
1: It is. I agree. It is a (laughs) contrarian view. I mean, there are an awful lot of people out there seeking to reinvent insurance. But your view is that that some things are actually much more resilient than people expect.
0: Insurance is fundamentally broken in many ways. One of them, the fact that if I want to go out and buy a life insurance policy, which I did when my kid was born a couple of years ago, I had to go to an agent, my college roommate, who took down a bunch of information, sent it to me by secure email. I then had to print it out. I had to sign it 12 times as a 33-page document fill in some missing information, mail it back to him because they didn't have any secure upload. He then typed all that information into a system. They sent me uh, a form, which I then had to sign again six times and send back to them. Then I wanted to pay for this. And the only way that I could pay for it annually and get the annual discount was to write a physical check. And this is (laughs) one of the top 10 life insurers in the United States. That's the customer experience. That is broken.
1: Yeah, that does sound like an opportunity, Adrian, doesn't it? It has to be said. <laughs> so just playing around that theme you know there's a lot of talk or has been a lot of talk about the Amazons the Facebooks the Googles of this world and their influence in the, on the insurance business or not what's what's your view about the big techs role in the ecosystem going forward for
0: us? I am far less worried about the big techs than I am the tech-enabled insurance companies that are right down the street from us. Right. Okay. None of those companies wants to be a regulated insurance company, and in the United States, at least, you have to be regulated even if you're selling insurance. So Google tried that, and it didn't work. I don't think they have any interest in getting back into it.
1: No, I think I concur with that. And if you actually look at the amount of revenue Google gets from insurance marketing as pay-per-click advertising, I think think uh, they make more than enough money as it is, actually.
0: Now, here's where it becomes interesting. Several of the companies that you're seeing are distributing largely through Google, Facebook, Instagram, et cetera. And basically, what they're doing is taking the marketing budget that would have initially gone to agents, and they're handing it over to the tech bros. That, to me, is actually a problem. I don't know that there's anything we can do about it. But the insurance agent has actually been a big part of the middle class of a lot of places like where I grew up. Uh, That's who you went to and you needed the little league uniform sponsored. And if we are saying we're going to disintermediate the agent, we're going to take all of that benefit that the local agents have provided, both from charity as well as employment, and we're going to concentrate it in big tech hubs, and we're going to give all that money to a couple of very dominant companies in the digital advertising space. I think, actually, that is doing a disservice to society. But that may be the way that gravity takes us.
1: It's an interesting perspective, looking at the charitable and contribution that agents make to the local society. I mean, I think you know, looking at the general trend consumer and SME marketing from large insurance companies has switched from 90% analog and 10 years ago to 90% digital. And then you look at the take from Google and Facebook of digital advertising, which is about 60%. And so you know, there is a clear trend taking
2: place. But
1: I think the contrary view is an interesting one.
2: Have you heard of Brain Food? It's our weekly newsletter, and it comes out every Sunday morning. It's packed with the best content that we come across on financial services and technology. It contains quotes, articles, events, and it showcases rising fintechs and people in our industry that inspire us. You can subscribe at motivepartners.com.
1: So I'm just going to change tack a bit, of that's OK. Yeah. When you started your career, you know, um, and when you look back on your career to date, you know, what are the most valuable lessons you, you've picked up along the way? And would you like to pass on to our listeners?
0: So insurance is a business which values longevity and depth in the insurance business. I don't know that that's always the right thing, though. And so being willing to be somewhat contrarian, I think, has been valuable in this sector. And some of that contrarianess comes from the fact that I didn't grow up in this business. 12 years ago, I was working in a factory. We were making candy. Uh, It was actually a fascinating time. But that has allowed me, for instance, when we talk about industrial IoT and people saying, well, factory owners are going to hook up their factory equipment directly to the insurer in order to meter the insurance. I just say baloney. Because I spent time in factories. There's no way that they're going to do that. They're not going to give up their most sensitive production data in order to save 15% on their insurance. It will never happen. So I think that having a broad generalist background has actually been really helpful for me in understanding the industry and the way that it's evolving and changing. And I think people who come into this industry from outside of it should be proud of that fact, provided that they also have some respect for the fundamentals of the way that this business operates. And that's where people tend to mess up when they come from outside the business. There are certain ways in which insurance operates, which I think a lot of them come down to the fact that we do not know our cost of goods sold when we sell our product. So you can very easily fool yourself into thinking that you're smart when in fact you're just selling a product too cheaply.
1: Yes, I think that, that is a perennial lesson, <laughs> that the industry continues to learn again and again. So again, switching tack, thinking about PNC Ventures you know, in the next five years or so. You know, what are, what are the key things that you're looking to achieve? What are the key milestones in your own mind about that business?
0: I would like for SCORE to be known as the place where anyone who has a different, unique, innovative idea comes to first. Because I think we have the capabilities as a global company operating in 160 different countries to be able to understand every market in detail, but we also are still small enough um, because we are number five, we have to try a little harder. We are small enough that we can still have a lean centralized decision-making process such that you aren't going to be, as an entrepreneur, kind of dealing with every little piece of the bowels of a big company, and then it gets up to some middle manager who kills it. So I'm agnostic to the way in which the industry develops and the way that PNC Ventures develops, provided that we become known as the ones to come to if you have something to do in insurance.
1: That sounds like a very good ambition to have. So you work for the chief executive officer. So leadership and thoughts on leadership. You know, when you look at uh, your colleagues, your own experiences, you know, what, what are the things on leadership that you feel matter most or most impactful and some of the things that you think leaders should avoid?
0: You know, I actually don't report to the CEO anymore. Uh, <laughs> All right. I gave that up. No, but I, I knew that you were going to ask that. And I left it in deliberately okay. Okay. because I don't report to the CEO. I actually gave up the head of strategy and business development responsibilities okay. because I had brought someone in two years ago On the promise that I was going to step out of the role and he was going to step into it. So I think as a leader, you have to be right on your promises that you make to your people.
1: Okay, well, that's a cool answer. As you say, authentic honesty, key attributes, key attributes there. Okay. So um, a few lighter things, obviously you're an investor, so tell me about the the best investment you didn't make.
0: (laughs) I sort of made this investment, so I'll tell you a little story. When I was in seventh grade, this was right when Alan Greenspan was doing crazy things with interest rates that got people all upset. Turns out he was doing the right thing, but the market was not happy about it. And we were playing in seventh grade a little stock market game. And I had America Online in my portfolio. Uh, so this is spring of 1994. Uh. And the stock at the time was trading at about 30 bucks a share. It had IPO'd at 1150. Market cap was about 200 million. By the time that it sold, it would have been a 1,200 times return. Uh. But I actually finished at the bottom of my class in the stock market game because I had loaded myself up with what I now realize were high beta stacks at a time when the market very briefly took a downturn in the spring of 94. So it would have actually been brilliant had I made this investment for real with my lawn mowing money, but I didn't. (laughs) If
1: you had, you possibly might not be sitting here, Adrian, as well.
0: Well, I didn't charge that much to mow lawns.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a fantastic story. Very good. So, just thinking about uh, maybe not from the seventh grade, but maybe from slightly later on, in terms of business role models, not necessarily from the industry, but from outside of the industry. You know, who are the people you admire the most, and why?
0: I think I've had the good fortune of working for some really good bosses. Uh-huh. Most of them are retired at this point, but even if I date all the way back to to my time at Bain, insurance is an apprenticeship-driven business, and so you need to find those people in this business who will teach you the ropes and help you to understand what works and what doesn't. But at the same time, you have to be willing to challenge them and understand where are their own weak spots. Because as you get deeper and deeper into an industry, you get more and more invested into the way that it worked at the time that you learned it, which is not necessarily the way that it's going to work going forward. I didn't realize it at the time, when I worked at Bain, there were a whole number of entrepreneurs, some of whom have become quite well known, who I was working with. And they were, you know, two years out of Harvard and they hadn't really done anything yet, but they've gone on to found all of these great companies. And I've even had the privilege of investing with some of them and guiding some of them. Yeah, some of the people have inspired me have actually been people who are a few years younger than me who started out even even working on my teams. And they've gone out and done these great things. And I look back on it and I'm like, wow, I knew you were smart, but I didn't realize, you know, how incredible this is going to be. I think that's been really inspiring to me as I've gotten older.
1: That's a cool answer. Okay. What do you wish, you know, if you look back at the beginning of your career, what do you wish you'd been told at the very outset, which would have been helpful to you?
0: I think when you're young, you don't appreciate how long careers are, and I'm not even through the first half of this, but when I was in business school, actually undergrad in 2000, Bill Clinton was still president, Bush versus Gore was in the Supreme Court, and I took my first course in venture capital. And I then spent 17 years wandering through other parts of the world before I ended up back here doing this venture capital sort of stuff. And I think that that has been tremendously valuable for me because I've taken the non-traditional path, and I guess I've expressed a number of contrary views. This is another one. I don't think that one has to assume that what they start out doing, and even what they're doing at some more advanced stage in their career, is necessarily where they're going to end up. So I have no idea if I'll stay doing venture capital or if I'll end up doing something else I could be running a big portion of an insurance or reinsurance company at some point. Or I don't know, maybe I'll fall into a startup. But I think the sort of short-term planning and just being opportunistic to follow the opportunity and create the opportunity for yourself is sometimes undervalued in industries like insurance that value longevity. Excellent.
1: So just wrapping up, Adrian, thank you very much indeed for joining us, talking about the future of finance and for talking about Score and Score Ventures.
0: Thank you. Thank you for your time and insights. And thank you very much for tuning in. I'm Sam. See you next time.